Welcome back to Ammonite Movie Night, the weekly movie podcast where everything's made up but the points don't matter. We are Ammonite Inc. I'm Kevin. This is Jared. How's it going, Jared? It's going well. Thank you. Well, look, it's almost it's almost the end of the year. We're almost there. We got one more show. One last one last attempt to charm the pants off you. It's true. The tourists are really just ruining my life in Midtown Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. It should be, um, I think people who work in New York's Disneyland should be allowed to run over a tourist in New York's Disneyland. Only, only one, though, so you gotta be careful. Gotta pick well. You gotta make sure it really counts. My god. Um, before we get into what we've been watching this week, I want to introduce a segment coming to Ammonite Movie Night in 2022. I teased this, Jared, in private last week. (laughs) Um... Because I did something last week that I didn't expect. So I've been using the D- library app a lot lately. I've been reading these things that are called books. What's okay. that? It, it's a it's a bunch of subtitles in a line, and they tell you a story. Ugh, I hate subtitles. Well, you're going <laughs> to hate this week's episode of the show. Shit! Um, <laughs> um, but I opened up my comics reading app. And uh, there was volume eight of One Piece staring right at me. Oh, no. (laughs) So I know I've started a lot of journeys on this show. And uh, before you ask, Ultraman remains on hiatus. Mm -hmm. Um, But in 2022, I mean, I will finish Ultraman early next year. No doubt. I'll get right through it. Yeah. But in 2022, Kevin will read all of One Piece, the legendary manga. I will be caught up to the most recent chapter it will happen kevin take a guess as to how many uh volumes there are yeah there are exactly 100 correct 101 101 that's right seven Mm -hmm. a month is what i saw if i want to get through in the next calendar year and they move quick like it's a pretty zippy action manga it's very doable because it's about the journey not the end point like all that crap. I, I fucking hope so. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited for the One Piece to be the friends we uh, made along the way. I'm excited to contain multitudes in May and not get through this at all. <laughs> I give myself until your birthday. I give myself until early June to, right. uh, to totally burn out on this. <laughs> I'm, writing that, I'm writing that down. Grill Kevin... Sometime in June. Again, you will grill me every week about this because, of course... Well, don't spoil it for the audience. Hashtag Kev will read One Piece in 2022. (laughs) Um, As if I haven't started yet is all I'll say. But uh, needless to say, I'm already a tenth of the way through, basically. You are. I'm already through 80% of one-tenth of the way through. I'm I'm, I'm gearing up for Netflix to cancel... The show after it's not universally praised after a week. <laughs> They've been doing that a lot with these live action anime stuff, you know. Yeah, just not. <laughs> it gives you just enough. Gives it just enough time to pollute the goodwill around it, around the anime, and now it's a bad taste on everyone's mouth every time you bring it up. Uh, can we can we talk about this also? I can't believe sure. that Bebop was killed like not even a week after. Not that I watched it, which is part of the problem, but. I, I managed to get through the cold open of the first episode, and it cribbed directly from the movie, but but in a Joss Whedon way. And it overall, it has none of the style, none of the flair, none of the fun. 
I didn't even get to see Faye, or Ed for that matter, and I can only imagine how rough that is from what little I watched. What I'm saying is I'm not surprised it got it got annihilated from orbit in the space of a week. I get it. I get yeah. it. I don't know. You know, I really just don't know. You're better off watching... Kevin, have you heard of the 1998 cult classic unknown anime Cowboy Bebop? We did go to the Huntington Arts Center to see I'm Knocking on Heaven's Door in theaters. Isn't it amazing on um, the big screen? But I had never, and this was like 35mm film, like the new print, like sent right from Japan or whatever. Oof, gorgeous. You know, this is back in the day. But uh, I hadn't finished the series, and I still haven't finished the series. <laughs> You'll get there. I have to get through all of Sex in the City first. I'm kicking you off your podcast <laughs> for such a statement. Now that everyone has indulged me on that, Jared, what have you been watching this week? Um, I threw on Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone for the first time in over a decade. You know, uh, I've been thinking of getting back into those because the 70mm guys are doing them. No kidding. Yeah, it was, their, it, it was their 200 patron goal. Hell yeah. I mean, congratulations, congratulations are uh, due for them, of course. Hell yeah. I mean, it helped them out a lot, actually, since That's they wonderful. started it. But uh, they're doing Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, all the Matrix movies, and they're going to get have to get back to the Nolan Batman movies all at the same time. Pretty much just going through <laughs> that period of blockbuster movies in order. It's, cool. a, it's an early... It's a Q1 of Ammonite Inc.'s existence level of heavy planning, is all I have to say about it. It's beyond me. Oh, yeah. Ammonite Inc. over here, we're blushing. We're blushing. Have a little, have a little um, red tint. Um, so how, how'd you find it? How did you, like, uh, what'd you think of it? I forgot how much meandering they managed to keep in this movie. Oh, yeah. The later ones suffer from how much plot they have to condense, and Sorcerer's Stone and probably Chamber of Secrets, too. There's not much going on. It's just hanging out. You're getting to know these kids, and they go on little adventures. There's a uh, there's a lot of stuff that they uh, snipped from the book. To, uh, snipped uh, snipped from the book right. completely. There's a whole bit where Harry and uh, Malfoy were gonna have like a wizard duel, and he got in trouble for that. And I think that's actually how they ran into Fluffy. But here they just go up the wrong stairs and they run through, which I I thought was cute. They're eleven, of course they would. It's the kind of it's the kind of editing you kind of admire in these because it's like, oh, you did, oh, you're telling us this this way instead. Mm-hmm. It um, and it and it's not like it's a cop out. It still incorporates the weirdness of Hogwarts, which is, oh damn it, the stairs moved. Sorry, the stairs moved. What's that door? And then they go exploring and they realize very quickly that they're not supposed to be there, but they go anyway. It's cute. When was the last time you watched these movies? This movie um, specifically, I guess. Sorcerer's Stone, we had on VHS, so... And then we bought it later on DVD, so... Probably 2004, 2005. Yeah, that tracks. I uh, had an odd relationship with Harry Potter, because my favorite teacher was obsessed with it, and I was obsessed with it, and mm-hmm. I got prayed over once that the sin of Harry Potter would be relinquished at a church youth group, and... Um, yeah. I was routinely mocked for being Harry Potter on the way to my father's wake last March. I was called Harry Potter by somebody in my neighborhood. Did of I ever course. tell you that? Did I ever tell you that? You don't even, you look nothing like the character, but no, you did not. I pivoted into Elvis Costello if he liked pizza uh, much later. So I don't know. 
But uh, yeah, so I gave up on Harry Potter when Deathly Hallows came out. I was like, that's it. And then I came back for the Deathly Hallows. I came back for Half-Blood Prince and then mm-hmm. loved that and then was around for those last three movies. And then I was done. And then I came back. Uh, hey, uh, hey, uh, don't uh, don't cut out the part where <laughs> you woke up earlier before everyone else went out and got Cursed Child. That's a great story. That was funny. Um, composer of the show Chris Coffey once had a house party. It was the morning that Harry Potter and the Cursed Child was released. Um, that was the night of the John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt conspiracy, if you remember. Uh, I was not. I did not yeah, get to hear you, it. You were in a private conversation with someone else. Yes, and I was. I was under the influence of substances, and I got like ten guys in this conversation. The, it was it was John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. His name is my name too. Wherever he go out, the people always shout. There goes John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Da na 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 na. Who, who, which John Jacob Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt are they referring to? And it took. Th- this was a long conversation. So it was like after ninety minutes, we got to his father is watching over him, and they are talking about the ghost. Huh. Anyway, the next morning, I was really fiending for a dog shit play so i snuck out of chris's house like left the door unlocked which in retrospect was not kind but what was i gonna do it was 10 minutes and barnes and nobles like right there and at the docks chris (laughs) but uh i went there and we got the play and i read it out loud for you guys and then i haven't opened it since there was one statement that um that really stuck with us i think (laughs) What do you want me to do, Dad? Transfigure myself into the son you want or something? There we go. Yes. Oh, that was good. That was a that, fun and breakfast. That was, and that was the only way to engage with this uh, this thing until the play came to Broadway. And then you could pay $600 to just get uh, dumped right in your mouth by uh, the wealthiest turf in the world. Ew. Uh, I maintain, for the record, we could talk more about the movies, because whatever. Sure. But uh, I maintain that J.K. Rowling is the luckiest person in the world. She is now, because of these Fantastic Beasts movies and these transphobic detective novels she writes, she is totally exposed as an absolute hack fraud. She's total garbage, and there's only so much Tolkien you could rip off before everyone finds out. She is the emperor, and where are her clothes? Like, you know what I mean? Good one. I like that. I hate her. Yeah, she's a I hate her, and you know what? I I will say like her comments are terrible, and obviously, you I think you can agree we disavow her comments. Yep. But I think the thing that is most vile uh, is the smugness. Oh yeah, but that's how they all ex- are. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, how they all are. It's that just like it's that condescending. Well, you just haven't thought my way yet. You haven't seen my truth. Why aren't right. you? Why aren't you giving me space to talk? Just like, cause stupidness. Because you're, you're kind of evil. <laughs> it's so it's so stupid. I just called it stupidness and not stupidity. <laughs> That's how I answer. Um, but yeah, no, I will return to these movies. I think either this weekend I'm getting my COVID booster on Friday. Nice. If it's, if it's oh, anything I'm sorry. like, hold it. I hold. I take that back. Good luck. Yeah, I mean, if it's anything like my second COVID shot, I'm gonna be done for the weekend. Um, got Joe Bob Briggs at night, but maybe I'll watch some Harry Potter beforehand. You gotta honestly. That sounds like fun. Chamber of Secrets. I remember being a little rough, but of course, Prisoner of Azkaban. It's great. Chamber it's a real of Secrets. Movie. Chamber of Secrets was the big one at our house. It was like James was like four years old, 
And, uh, you know, we, we got the DVD and we just watched the shit out of that. No kidding. Enemies of the air, beware. Oh, gosh. Well, there's a lot to liken to. You got the Anglia sequence. You got uh, that great Kenneth Branagh performance. Hmm. That was... Who did he play? Wait. He was Gildor Lockhart. Yes. Never mind. Book two rules because Gilderoy Lockhart rules. The only thing that's a shame is that the n- nearly headless Nick birthday party had to get cut because the movie was 75 hours long. Yeah, that bu- that always bugged me, actually. But no Peeves, so... Okay, the fact that Peeves never shows up in any of these movies, what a missed opportunity. It's one of the things that makes the old computer games so great. Give him hell, Peeves. Flipendo! <laughs> starting uh, starting next year, we're going to be doing a Let's Play channel, only Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Check it out on Ammonite, on Ammonite Inc. Let's Play Nights. We do... Okay, I... Before you before you stop joking about it, we do uh, have a Twitch and we do have a YouTube. That's all I want to say about it. Although starting think, next uh, year. <laughs> um, I will say we should stream Universal Studios Park Adventure. I'm down. Oh, it's a what terrible is game. Uh, it's a game that was oh, made. That's all I, nope, that's all I need to hear. It's, uh, it's a mini game collection based on Universal Studios. Goodness. It's based on Universal Studios Japan. So they have like the Waterworld stunt show. And a lot of questions about the movie Backdraft. Because there was a Backdraft stunt show when it opened and such. Goodness. Uh, what else are you watching, Jared? I definitely got through a portion of um, Movie 6. I watched it right after the first one because I wanted to give myself a little whiplash in, the, whiplash in the evening. It's a way to do it. But I was tired and I just sort of turned it off and did something else. Um, Slughorn is a great character. I'm kind of happy I didn't watch the rest of the movie because the romance stuff was insufferable, but Slughorn, Slughorn was a joy. He's a silly man. I remember having a lot of fun with Half-Blood Prince. Mm. I think I think the the luck, what is it, the Felix Felicis when he takes the... Yeah. Like, that's some of Dan Radcliffe's best acting in the whole series, including the time he looked at a fetus in the subway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, I mean... Kevin, if you saw a fetus in the subway... Actually, you'd assume it's a rat, because we're in Manhattan. That's a good point. I don't point. want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, oh, yeah. I, it actually I let like him. Six. It actually let him stretch out, and uh, he could be more than, like, assigned angry kid Harry Potter. He could be a little goof. I like them all for one reason or another, although I never finished five. Just read the book. It has all the, all the stuff you like is in the book and cut out from the movie because of the plot stuff. I know I say a lot of mean things about J.K. Rowling, but Order of the Phoenix is legitimately her masterpiece. It's excellent. Oh, it is. It is her... Like This is my pretentious comment of the week, so you can drag me about it in the comments. Um, mm. Order of the Phoenix is her war and peace. It's got everything in it you could ever mm-hmm. want in a book. Like It's got her whole thing. Everything she's good at is there. It's amazing. If you come across someone who says that Order of the Phoenix, they didn't like it because Harry was whiny, you can disregard their opinion because they have no empathy for others. It's acceptable. It's like people who uh, get mad at Catch on the Rye because Holden Caulfield's annoying. They're disregarding the actual trauma behind each character, and you know. I never cool. I never heard that J.K. Rowling didn't like the book. Hmm? Well, you said that if, if you don't like that element of the book... If, yeah, you, if you, uh, you think you have no empathy for others, right? So J.K. Rowling has no empathy for others. So. Uh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, she hates her own war and peace. Oh, my God. 
It is that level. Well, maybe not that level. I mean, it's grand, sweeping. It has, like you said, it has everything you need from a from a uh, story about a person trying to be alive. Oh, while we're doing uh, stupid features on the show, by the way, sure. speaking of children's books, mm-hmm. um, apparently the right situation and the publishing situation of K.A. Applegate's Animorphs is totally fucked. Oh, God. So much so that someone on Reddit just put up all of the Animorphs as really easy-to-read PDFs. Like, Hold on, so- I have something like, I need to do right now. Yeah, I'll send you the link after the show. Sick. Um, uh, listeners, Google it. I'm not getting in trouble over this. <laughs> but uh, it is all of Animorphs and all the spinoffs and the Hork-Bajir Chronicles and all this. Um, it makes me think about, about Animorphs. Did you read Animorphs as a kid? Oh, I love... I got um, a chunk of the series handed down, like maybe the first half, and at that mm. po- at whatever mark that ended is where I fell off. Mm. I, heard I it. fucking loved it. Yeah. Been told that uh, the ending gets really, 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 really good. In the sense that just it ends how it should end. There's no... Yeah. I'm doing everything I can to not say anything more from what That's I've good. seen. Please, please don't, because I, I think I'm going to go through them, because they it. are really easy to read. They're, they're coming out with audiobooks now, and the audiobooks are two hours long. Oh, that's perfect. They're super, they're like less than 100 pages, dude. It's, and the prose is like, I am Cassie, I am a girl, now I am a bird, I flew around. Like, it's like, are you kidding me? With yeah. some good, like, you know how these books are written, and you know how this, you know, now it's every Netflix show feels like this, but... They're meant to be accessible, but at the same time that, you know, it doesn't hide its smart ideas. That's right. All right. So that's Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yep. <laughs> um, anything else, Jared? What else you got? I feel like I watched something else, but it's escaping me right now. So I watched something. Oh, Kevin. What have you been watching? Great question. Um, should we get Black Widow out of the way? Yes, I guess we do have to get um, Black Widow out of the way. It was a lot of fun until it was very boring, and then there's 45 minutes left. Moving on. Yep. I don't want to say much about Sex in the City because there will be a time and a place for everything, but a lot of my time has been spent watching Sex in the City. <laughs> the new one or the uh, old stuff? Uh, no, the old up. stuff. I'm halfway through the fourth season, so I'm almost done, and there's spoilers everywhere, so God help me. But there will be a time and a place for everything. Moving on. Um, sure. Two Oscar contenders this week. Sorry, I'm just trying to really push through here because we're already at 20 minutes. Oh, dear. Um, Jane Campion's Power of the Dog. You have to watch this movie. It's on Netflix. Power of the Dog? What's yeah, it about? You have to watch this movie. So Jesse Plemons and Benedict Cumberbatch are brothers and they're cattle hands. And they Jesse Plemons marries Kirsten Dunst whose son is, like, very anxious and kind of disturbed. And then I don't want to say anything else. Look, you said Jesse Plemons. I'm already very interested. You so you're good. have to see this film twice. Uh-oh. I, I haven't seen it twice yet, but I don't want to say anything more, honestly. All right. Um, the other movie, the last movie I saw that I'll mention this week, Sean Baker's new film, Red Rocket follow-up to his incredible incredible florida project Ooh. um this movie That's... is playing literally in five theaters in the country in new york and la um don't bring your mom i mean your mom would get it but uh don't br- listeners don't bring your mom 
<laughs> um, it is. I don't know how to broach this on air, and uh, I'm just going to say this. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Uh, a obviously, yeah, a, chi- a man child wearing an obvious facade seduces a young woman in order to manipulate her for his personal gain. Wow, what a what a niche idea. I've never heard of this before. Uh, and for that reason, this movie is like, wow. Um, I've been asked, a lot of people compare it to Uncut Gems, and it's Uncut Gems if the gem was a human being. <laughs> is it still? Is it just as um, anxiety-inducing? Yes. Interesting. Uh, yeah, because you never know where it's going to go. And uh, one of the most like jaw-dropping endings of the year, I could not believe the ending of this film, because although it's left ambiguous, you know what's going to happen, and it's not good. <laughs> Don't stop. Yeah, it's one of those. It's honestly not maybe not comparable in terms of impact because that's mm. like seven and it's like fifteen years of watching TV. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I found myself laughing a lot in this film because of things that I personally understand. Uh, this is a very uneasy watch, and it is uh, uh, not one I'm about to start watching all the time <laughs> oh did you ever see tangerine no actually oh it is wonderful i oh, don't think i don't think it's still on netflix i watched it a few years ago on netflix on netflix but if you get the chance definitely sit down and watch it's so wonderful i'll find it mm-hmm. um I, I i will say like i don't know what to make of th- this red rocket i don't know he he said that his mission statement was to in his filmmaking was to desigmatize sex workers and stuff like that and um, the entire dramatic arc of this movie is presented in a way to show you what the the business of pornography is like, which does stigmatize sex workers. Um, but the main character is so unsympathetic. It's like I, I was a little confused as to that messaging. It's hard for me to talk about without people having seen the film. Boogie Nights, but evil. Yeah, this is Okay, that's a much... Thank you. <laughs> this is Boogie Nights but Evil. It is, like, fu- like I couldn't believe it. And the script, I don't know if this is, like, if every line is written, or because there are a lot of non-actors in this film as well. Mm. And I don't know if this is improvised or what the deal is, but the just the script, I couldn't believe how vivid the characters were drawn. The technique on, on 35mm, or I think it's 15mm film, was incredible. Apparently, this was filmed during COVID. I couldn't tell at all. Hmm. Um, it was filmed last fall, so even before the vaccine and stuff. Oh, twenty um, twenty. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. How yeah. they, I don't know how they pulled that off. Or, Damn. or maybe this past summer. You know, this is actually worth googling on air. Okay. I apologize. I'm looking at the cover, and it has a guy wearing a donut around his waist. And I don't know, does that, is that, is that just an interesting visual or does that show up in the movie in some way, shape or form? Oh no, it's like the, this is like the plot of the movie because he picks up a girl in a donut shop and also at one point runs around naked. So it's actually pretty accurate selling of the film. Oh, wonderful. Oh, wonderful. Is it streaming anywhere or is it theaters only? Oh no, no, this is theaters only. And by the way, the film was shot last fall. This is a, a very limited run. Well, they have no design for this to win anything, I think, or whatever. Or maybe they're just looking for it to qualify. I don't under—I don't understand what their deal is because this is such a winner. But they're also releasing "Come On, Come On," and they're also releasing the Macbeth movie on Christmas hmm. Day. So, and there's of course the Green Knight, which came out over the summer. So, 
I don't know, maybe they don't want to compete against themselves. I don't know what their strategy is because this film stands apart from all of those. Uh, but again, if you've ever seen anybody you even kind of like get manipulated very easily by someone who you know to have bad intentions and you are powerless and you have to watch it happen, maybe skip this one. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to skip it, but you know what? Thank no, you for the you, warning. <laughs> Thank you very you, much for the warning. <laughs> you have a thick skin. You can handle it. But I'm just warning anybody if they don't, um, maybe this is not a movie to watch because uh, of how easily it all comes together. <laughs> I am very excited to be upset very soon. Hopefully in my living room and not in a theater where I'll get COVID. Yeah. Well, yeah, don't do that. Luckily, I did I did go to a theater, but everybody was spread out, and it was pretty nice. So, Oh, actually, I just remembered. I watched part of um, the last Spider-Man movie, and the other day at work, I was asked, Hey, we're all, go- all-, also, we're all going out to see the new Spider-Man in a, f- in a few days when it's out. Want to come? So uh, I might be seeing that, and I'll let you guys oh, know what gonna happens go? there. Oh, you're going to go? Yeah, I'm gonna look for I'm gonna look for Tubi, Tubi McGuire. That's pretty cool. I yeah. uh, I am waiting until my booster takes effect. So two weeks from Friday, I will be going to see it. So Sick. that's exciting. Yo. All right. So that is that is Sean Baker's Red Rocket. Again, I recommend it unless uh, you are offended by the synopsis. There's no other way to say it. Like, <laughs> if you're if you. Uh, are sensitive to the synopsis. This movie is about grooming, um, and it is disturbing and hard to watch, but impeccably made. So it's one of those. Um, oh, also, if you think that liking a film and the contents of the film are a direct endorsement of the things in the film, this is also maybe not one for you. Okay. Well, so, well yeah, this movie wasn't made for 10-year-olds. Um, Jared, if that's all for what we've been watching, I have a quick... There is a very big surprise here. This is a crazy piece of mail we got. All right, let's hear it. Uh, so look, last week I I was joking and I complained about us not getting any fan mail. Now, that is a joke. We're all friends here and you can send as much or as little as you want and we'll read it on the air and there's no pressure to you. Right, Jared? Right, Jared. Right, like, we're all friends here. We were kidding around. Um, but... Uh, my my buddy from the 70 millimeter discord Brandon Ulrich has gone above and beyond with this email so I'm just going <laughs> to read it oh boy One Kevin second. and Jared oh yeah let the siren go alright they're done Brandon writes Kevin and Jared after last week's episode where inexplicably no correspondence came in I felt compelled as a loyal Ammonite movie night listener to take up the cause other than Letterboxd, I, will been, I have been off social media for nearly five years, so modern methods of spreading the gospel have proven difficult. Through hours of research, I have learned that in 2008, Christopher Nolan invented whole cloth, what is known as guerrilla marketing, certain to be taught in marketing classes decades from now. <laughs> in addition to that, my research has unearthed that pin-on buttons are huge among the youth crowd. <laughs> It's true. It's true. So uh, it's true. So I took the liberty of creating some classy ammonite ink buttons. No fucking way. That are sure to turn heads. My plan is to leave them on random public restroom sinks, under chairs at my church potluck dinners, on random park benches, or hand them out at Rotary Club meetings, spin classes, um, farmers markets, etc. I'm sending you the photo of them now. 
Hell yes. This is, this is Brandon, this is incredible. Um, we were joking. And, uh, <laughs> Brandon, I'm taking this. you very seriously right now. We better get some very Christian callers in the next few weeks. Oh, my God. Uh, let me. I have to snip the photo because the photos are too big. But there's like, the, there are buttons that are the Ammonite Movie Night logo, and then there are some. There's one that says Kev loves movies, and there's one that just says Jared rolls, <laughs> which is so funny. Jared rolls. <laughs> Jared rolls. Look in your look in your Discord. I just sent you the photo. Um, Brandon, I just want you to see this. Photo Isn't that great? That's so great. Jared rolls. Um, I figure within three to five years of dedication and button distribution, you guys will have more letters and correspondence rolling in than you'll know what to do with. Um, in all seriousness, love the pod, love what you guys are doing, and look forward to it every week. Keep plugging away, and the hard work will pay off. Best, Brandon Ulrich. Um, this this is rules. amazing. I want some buttons. I want buttons. I want all three of them. I want to see one in a puddle on St. Mark's Place. I want to see one in the sink at some dive bar in the middle of Brooklyn. That could be arranged. That could be arranged. We have we have plenty of friends in Brooklyn. Just tell them to put them in sinks, and toilets. Could, could, uh, this is really awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm beside myself. I don't even know what to say. Um, Jared does rule, and I do love movies. So, <laughs> thank you so much. I'm not joking when I say I would wear I'd wear the Kevo loves movies one everywhere. Just so everyone oh, knows, Kevo loves movies. Absolutely. Look, heart, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. <laughs> oh, all right. Thanks again, Brandon. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks again, Brandon. I, I'm like, be, I'm again, I'm just so beside myself with this. I checked the email this morning and I could not believe it, but didn't want to uh, at you before the show. Mm. So as to ruin the surprise. Uh, Holy moly. I'm smiling pretty wide over here. Not going to lie. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah. Shall we, Kevin? All right. So, look, tw- in 2013, Studio Ghibli released two films. Hayao Miyazaki's The Wind Rises and Takahata, the director of Grave of the Fireflies, The Tale of Princess Kaguya. Mm-hmm. They were supposed to be released on the same day, but as we learned, it didn't happen. Um, depending on who you ask, one may have surpassed the other, which was nuts. But anyway... A documentary crew went to Studio Ghibli to capture the development and the creation of these two films, and the result is a title which I can never missay again. The Kingdom of... Oh my god. The Kingdom <laughs> of Dreams and Madness. <laughs> and you know what the best part of that is? What? I had it, and I caught myself. <laughs> You've been stumbling over it a little too long, Kevin. It's your curse now. It's it sucks too because I love this movie so much. Like this movie is, um, so you picked this, mm-hmm. and I was a little surprised. I was like, okay, that'll be kind of an interesting thing for us to talk about. Mm-hmm. But the thing about it is, is that it's a Studio Ghibli film about the creation of two Studio Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. It's a movie that is as achingly beautiful, and like even the conflict is deflected by serenity and like a nice bouncy kind of score Mm -hmm. charming characters with very distinct personalities that are very charming um a very optimistic and beautiful ending Mm -hmm. especially considering all the goofy stuff um miyazaki has said all throughout exactly and uh and also like um 
what was my last point? Oh, I'll get to this later, but like most Ghibli films, kind of meanders along. Although yeah. there's more of a ticking clock than usual because of, for the obvious reason. Yeah. It gives you enough space and time to understand who Miyazaki is. It get, lets him perform who he thinks he is for you. And then you have everyone going, yeah, that's just Miyazaki. Just let him do his thing. Which I always get a kick out of. Everyone's going, yep, just, just go with it. Um, what is your relationship to Ghibli? I saw Spirited Away on DVD in 2003, and I did not understand it. First of all, it felt illegal. <laughs> this thing from Japan was here. It felt... Uh, John Lasseter, God rest his soul, remember he was shot out of a cannon into the sun? Yo, R.I.P. Um, was like on... And I remembered him from the Monsters, Inc. and Finding Nemo DVDs. He was like a god. God wears um, a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, God wears a Hawaiian shirt, <laughs> and he's got uh, nine million Buzz Lightyear dolls on his wall. Oh no! God is a red flag. God is a red flag. Goodness gracious! It's going to be the alternate title for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I remember I saw him, and I was like, well, "Why is he so serious? Who is this Miyazaki guy, and what is this about?" And Spirited Away is kind of a creepy movie, mm. as is. So I watched this kind of freaky, creepy movie. Like, oh, this is weird. This is not. You know, the, the, the 50-year-old episodes of The Muppet Show I was watching otherwise. <laughs> so um, then I proceeded to not have access to any Ghibli film for like 10 years. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much until... Uh, College? Yeah. When The Ring Rises came out, the, dra- the Elmo Drafthouse by my college was screening... I missed Totoro, but they were screening Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away in 35-millimeter film. Ooh. And I was like, ah, uh, yeah... So we saw those, and Spirited Away, it was like I was seeing it for the first time. Of course. And Mononoke, of course, is beautiful. And we saw The Wind Rises, you know, in its initial Japanese run here. And that movie, as we've seen, you know, if you watched along here and haven't seen The Wind Rises, at least I can't, I actually can't speak to the other one, but uh, watch The Wind Rises. It's, it's just fathom, like fathoms beyond so beautiful. Um, and that's my whole deal. Um, oh, and I saw a movie about a pig. Oh, I've seen Totoro later, of course. But besides that, like, Kiki's no, Howl's no, um, uh, Ponyo no. Um, I saw Spirited Away when I was nine and I decided, well, I think I'm going to become an artist. Is that the one? Uh, specifically, that was like, that was when I said, I think I want to get into animation. Holy very shit. specifically, it's the scene where, um, where she floats off and then... The, then that Joe Hisaishi music comes in. It's just so calming. She's floating. She's escaping from the bathhouse. She gets onto the train. And it's just five minutes of the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. And I remember being nine and going, I want to make something like that. That's amazing. Yeah. But uh, after Spirited Away, that after Spirited Away, I got really into animation. And um, I did not watch Mononoke for years. I watched part of uh, Howl's Moving Castle in like the mid-2000s and then immediately after seeing part of it I saw Paprika and I said, I'm gonna watch all of Satoshi Khan's movies and then I did. <laughs> See, like I was into animation enough to be on message boards and IMing with people mm-hmm. um, in the mid-2000s and I saw the trailer for Paprika and I was like, I'm never gonna have access to this. And I was right I only saw Paprika last year. It was, for a very long time, it was so obnoxious to get a hold of. 
my first copy of Paprika I bought when I was in London. And of course, the joke being I brought it, brought the DVD home, popped it in, and realized, oh, wait, that's Region 2. <laughs> so stupid. But I, pre- I, I watched uh, Spirited Away parts of Howl Moving Castle, and then I just sort of didn't watch any of them until uh, college. For some reason, Ghibli did not grab me until I was older. Do you and, think um, it's that, or do you think it's because we were at the tail end? Well, no, we were like, you could have torrented the Ghibli films. Yes. But, uh. Because now it's easier to, than ever because HBO Max bought them all. Mm. So, like, these two films are on there in English and Japanese, and all of the other ones are, as far as I know. I would go around searching for them when I was younger, like in high school. I would look for Ghibli movies, among many other things. Didn't really have as much luck, but as soon as I went to college, I went to an art college, and they had a huge library and said, oh, okay, I'm going to watch everything. Right. And I did. But Ghibli never grabbed me the way Satoshi Khan did. It's nothing against Ghibli. It's just, you know, your interests are a little different but know. you know you know why i think mm-hmm. that might be too what do you think is they are very meandering films yes there's only a certain amount of meandering it's really it's really how they organize the meandering right spirited away's pacing is pitch perfect it knows exactly where everything needs to be mononoke i really like but it feels like it it's try, it's it feels like it's trying to figure out how it wants to tell its story even at the end of the movie funny note ponyo's english dub liam neeson voices the bad guy it's very strange to hear Qui-Gon's voice coming out of a little anime, man. These Miyazaki English dubs, mm. let me tell you, we'll talk about it in the second segment of the show. Oh, but man. they are no slouch. No, they get names. They actually get interesting voices. And their performances, like, Michael Keaton's Porco Rosso is excellent. He's wonderful. I think it, I think it captures the character in a perfect way. I, I have notes on it later, but... We have notes on it later, but in any case... Let's talk about the... Crimson, the King, King Crimson. In the court of the Crimson King. Uh, you wish. <laughs> oh, man. Studio Ghibli's In the Court of the Crimson King would just be me exploding for the rest of my life. Be so strange and beautiful. Um, I will say about this film up front, they go into Miyazaki's creative process. And mm. I was talking about, I used the word meandering a bunch because his films aren't written. In the way that other films are written, he storyboards it exclusively, mm-hmm. and he's storyboarding it around the production of the film. Mm-hmm. So they directly explain this in the movie, but they go into the production of a film not knowing what the ending of it is going to be. Mm-hmm. So you get caught up in these situations like Porco Rosso, where the, the third act is totally different from what it is at the beginning, mm-hmm. which is totally different than what you read on the back of the box. Mm-hmm. He, even, he has a... Maybe you would remember the exact quote. He says something about... Um, how, it al- how a movie needs to be what it is. You can't, like, constrict it. And then that was his, like, philosophy behind doing storyboards instead of a complete script, like, working off of a script. He says something along the lines of, like, a movie needs to change. A movie needs to... <sighs> I'm looking up... Uh, I found a, a, a site that literally has all of the subtitles. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty crazy. It's interesting. I brought up Satoshi Khan. And he had another process, which was he himself doing the storyboards for like a solid year and a half, two years, because his drawings are so intense. And then he starts the movie. He has the entire thing done, all the beautiful drawings. And he says, all right, take these draw, take these storyboards and make them move. Here are some quotes. Um, this may sound ridiculous, but I've had staff tell me they have no idea what's going on in my films. When we were making Spirited Away, even I didn't know. 
The way I see it, we may fully, we may never understand them. What does one know about this world? It's really funny how he says that because so much of art is a human being trying its, trying their best to connect with other people. Like you could say that a piece of art is just go is you going. I feel like this. Do you? And meanwhile, he has people coming up to him going, "What is this?" And even he's going, "I don't know." Right. It's it's also interesting because the ending of the wind rises changes. Mm-hmm. And, like literally flips the coin flips mm-hmm. in this movie, so it's it's just very it's very interesting. It's very much a reflection of him, of he himself. You get the I don't know about you, but I get a sense of who he is as a person from what he's not saying. He seems like a very moody, temperamental person. Like he will change within the space of a week into a like a a reflection of who he was. They underline this late in the movie around the delay of the other film. Mm-hmm saying the guy has a personality disorder in one hand while praising him in the other. How um, Hideaki Anno is definitely his favorite son, and he spends most of that screen time making fun of him or bullying him. I thought he was an alien. No, he's just very, very unhappy. <laughs> it's funny how um, Anno is the closest thing he has to a successor, and as personalities go, they're complete opposites. Not only in their work and their approaches to art, but in their personalities. Miyazaki loves to talk, and every shot of Hideaki Anno is him standing there hoping that no one's noticing him. Um, folks, we're talking about Hideaki Anno. He is in the movie, but just so you know, he's the creator of what Robin Williams once called Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, he is also the director of Shin Godzilla and friend of the show Shin Kamen Rider. <laughs> um, God damn it. Is he also, uh, is he involved? Oh, right. He's also the screenwriter. He's also the screenwriter and planner of hero of the show, Shin Ultraman. Ooh, I thought he was a direct. I thought he was co-director. Uh, I actually don't know about that. It doesn't see it listed here. No, the director is Shinji Higuchi, who has worked on a bunch of toku in the past. Oh, goodness. Oh, okay. He was the co-director of Shin Godzilla. Yeah, he's the he's the the Gamera guy. Interesting. The Gamera guy. Oh, the Gamera guy. He is the Gamera guy. Mm-hmm. Stay stay tuned. He. Mm. I don't know about you, but a, a lot of those scenes where Miyazaki's saying some really depressing stuff, and everyone likes to you know clip it, post it online. He's he's acting. Like you, did you pick up on that? I got that feeling like watching him. He's so the way he moves and does things. It's just. Oh, you're putting on a little performance for the camera. That's a lot. But so I didn't know how to read that, especially because the button of this film is Miyazaki writing in his retirement statement that he's like looking forward to working another 10 years. Mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't know how to read any of that. It's he's con- it's one of those conflicting. It's one of those conflicting things. Same thing where you talked about um about his about that. What's his name? His, his business partner. Same with the way he treats Ano. The man is a. <laughs> deeply conflicted human being um but it was in the way he like he would say things and then laugh directly at the camera or when he was talking about how like oh yeah Ghibli will fall apart it was just a name oh my I got God, from an airplane I couldn't, I couldn't believe it yeah that was just a name I got from on the back of an airplane pauses how beautiful and walks away like that's planned he wanted to do that he believes in it he believes right. in it but that's how he's presenting himself it's honest. It's it's uh, honestly dishonest. How did you, on the, in the same vein? How'd you like that the the producer 
offering up to Goro Miyazaki in front of everyone that his father and the other guy did not want to do these films. Oh my god. And that they were more or less forced into it. Miyazaki took four days to decide, which, like, and and then if you look at the text... Oh, wait, four months. Oh, it was four months. Excuse me. Like, he took four months to decide if he wanted to do this deeply personal biographical film. Feels uh, at odds with itself. You're right. It is a contradiction, right? Yeah. And you and you see Gore off to the side like, I didn't want to do any of this. Right? Like, when I make movies, I'm kind of doing it for myself, but I'm doing it for Ghibli. Yeah. And if you know anything about the way uh, Miyazaki has treated his son, you sort of feel even worse for the kid. Oh, is that so? <laughs> you know how, um... You know the story of uh, he told later in the movie? Miyaza- H- Hayao Miyazaki receives a letter from a, from a man whom, during the bombings in the during World War II, this family had hid at the Miyazaki's house, like on the porch, yes. because their house had burned down. Miyazaki's father came out and found the family and was just like, hey, yeah, you can stay here as long as you want. Went back inside and gave the kid chocolate. And the kid eventually grew up and sent this letter to Hayao Miyazaki and was just like, hey, yeah, this is this is uh, what happened. I stayed on your porch for a little bit. And now in his 70s, Hayao Miyazaki tells a little story of how, tells like, oh, it's like, I didn't know they had, he had chocolate. He gave to this random kid, but he didn't give any to me. And then laughs it off. And that's exactly how he treats, like, <laughs> he is so kind to, like, children and, like, people outside of his, like, I guess family and then he you know he bullies the ones he loves or treats them like shit like Goro you should uh, crazy look it up you should look up his opinions on uh, Tales of Earthsea sometime the man is just the man is just repeating what his father did to him which is sad but you know I guess it's not all that surprising from him Anyway, on to happier things. Did you uh, did you like um, watching him watching his process? Like, yes, that is the best. the The part I loved the most specifically was watching the film really come together. Mm-hmm. Later in the film, after he said that Ghibli will fall apart, etc. After the real dark shit, mm-hmm. you get this really nice montage of like from everything from. The animators feel like getting notes on the storyboards to the guy scanning in the traced paper to give to the colorists, mm-hmm. the, the real, to the score of the film being made, to the animators, the animators, uh, sorry, the voice actors recording their lines in front of increasingly improved quality animation. Mm-hmm. I thought that was incredible, and then watching Miyazaki work in the studio, and then seeing that that work somewhat softens him a little bit, mm-hmm. is stunning. I thought that was just stunning, and and that's I mean, needless to say, that's some of the best stuff. Although on the surface, it may seem like his bitterness is the headline. Yeah, he plays that up. I still I I'm going to be harping on that, but he's playing it up for fun. Like he may as well have said, "Anime is a mistake." Yeah. That's really what it whittles down to. <laughs> but but is that? I mean, all right. While we're while we're on this uh, streak with the Miyazaki attitude, sure. I, I wanted to talk about this. He says he makes the point that otaku. He has made the point maybe outside the film, and and this is just a nugget of it in the movie. But he's made the point that otaku don't look at real people or what people would look like. So when they go to make 
like art. The art is reflective of exaggerated figures in cartoons, essentially. Kevin, we read. Am comics. I getting that right? We read. Yeah, it's the same as what we've been seeing in American comic books for years, where right. when the only thing is you have an endless, endless loop of comics, you're only going to write that way. You're not going to have people. Right. No, I agree with that. And I think what that I'm applies saying, to what he's saying. Did Did Hayao Miyazaki just own Rob Liefeld? Yes. <laughs> the most own. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> uh, no insult to the man. I. It's hard to insult a working artist who made his mark but yeah rob liefeld is the easy is so easy to own that like miyazaki I mean, doesn't it's know not an, it's it's not an own if the guy is insanely successful mm, yeah that's a fair but and i and i even i will say this i read some of those early x-force like that shit's really like good you could tell you know no feet etc you could you could make jokes about him all day the, but, man, um, the man has dynamic art the man knows how to make a very interesting visual yeah, the man has a visual style, which is hard to come by. Oh yes, but at the same, t- but at the same, t- but at the same time, that kind of exaggeration is appreciated, especially when you come from like the '80s and the '70s, where like there was still that hint of, you know, just that old flavor coming into something that's made purely by fans. Stuff made by fans is good. Gainax, Hideaki Anno's company, they're all, they were all otaku who came together and made and made something. So it's not necessary that it's bad, but it's the la- the lack of interest in things outside of your very niche world that is sure. detrimental. That's that's what I think Miyazaki was trying to say. I think that's absolutely true. Apologies if my cat scratching something is coming through on the mic. By the way, I was wondering what was that. What that was? <laughs> yeah. All right. I think he's done. All right. Um. I absolutely agree. I think it's. It is one of the times where the cantankerous Miyazaki, the grumpy Miyazaki is valid. Although, sometimes it does create great art. It does. Neon Genesis Evangelion is a is everything Anno loves, also him dealing with his problems. Every so much of so much of Evangelion is pulled from everything before it. So much he loved Ultraman and you can tell there's a episode with um that pretty much is just hey jet jaguar was cool but yeah the pr- the thing with miyazaki is like i don't know he's in a, he's a grumpy old man he doesn't want to he doesn't he doesn't need to get into it anymore he's just going to say what he th- say what he means and he's going to say it mean what else i got here that they have a totoro cuckoo clock in the office mm very important very important i have a quote from miyazaki here um Today, all of mankind's dreams are cursed somehow. Beautiful, cursed dreams. I'm not even talking about being rich and famous. Screw that, it's just hopeless. What I mean is, how do we even know movies are worthwhile? If you think about it, is it not some grand hobby? Maybe there was a time where you could have made a movie that mattered, but now, most of our world is rubbish. I love him. (laughs) We should put that, that should be the description of our show. The problem is, uh, as they say, as they say throughout, the man is an idealist. If you if you li- if you spend your whole life trying to change the world with your art, and it only gets worse, regardless of what you do or don't do, kind of can't really blame him for that misanthropy. True, true. He should chill out and like you know, maybe get a little get a little real. But at the same time, 
it is a there is a grandeur to that, right? Yeah. I love the guy and I love his films and you're about to hear after the break mm-hmm. how much I love his films. But like uh, like like <laughs> movies are movie. Like what are we doing here? Yeah. It's it's a complicated subject. The man was born of in World War II and he lived through that post war era. Saw the saw saw the rise of Japan. It's bubble collapse and now he is here now this is a generational thing yeah you know um of course he feels this way he has a very strong stubborn idea of what the world should be and it's never gonna happen so he's lashing out which i feel like the wind rises is such a uh more perhaps typical reaction to that yeah where he has created this really great beautiful kind of anti-war message uh, in an auto, like semi-autobiographical way. Mm-hmm. It's been a been a very long time since I, I've seen The Wind Rises, but I do remember how the blending of the autobiographical aspects with the actual actual um, man, Jiro Hiro, excuse me, Jiro Horiki, Jiro Horikoshi. That was way harder than it should have been for me. <laughs> but yes, we're all it, friends here. It blend he blends um those autobiographical aspects of his life with that man, and I th- ah you can see it pl- very plainly in uh, what he says about uh, the z- about the zero, which is uh hold on let me get it. Doop 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 doop. He and Horikoshi share the idea of um they're really cool planes. I shouldn't glorify them, but they're really cool planes. Right. It was like I was saying uh, the other week about uh, Verhoeven. He's at his best when it's like, yes, this is evil and awful, but look how cool it is. Right. Those, and again, and also, Miyazaki is a, you know, the, he's a deeply conflicted guy. He's had a lot to reconcile with. Yeah, these are war machines, but geez, look how cool that is. Right. Building something, building something out of love, and it's turned into a weapon of war. I don't know. Sounds like a. Sounds like the wind rises might have been a really tough, mo- really tough movie. <laughs> and it's tough on him as well. Yeah. He said. Uh, he said at the end of of that screening that it was the first movie like of his that he cried at. It's like oh gosh. Yes, Oof. that was incredible. Oof. Oof. He saw himself up there. Like, this was probably the close. Like, he has a lot of characters that he puts himself into. Uh, Porco himself, as we'll, we'll talk about, that's very much Miyazaki. But this is the most unabashed, like, okay, this guy isn't call, isn't. We don't have the same name, but I'm putting as much as myself in myself in there as possible. Helped by the fact that um, his uh, his successor voices the uh, his um, his ideal his self-inserts i think that i think that was all just like a melding of oh this makes sense to me did you watch uh, the wind rises in japanese i did okay i thought that's a great performance in the lead me too it had that it had the it had uh, the sound of someone who's never really done this professionally but knows how it's done so he can make it sound interesting you know i never put it together until this movie that it was ano who did the voice yeah that was um which when- is amazing 
when I first heard the movie was coming out, that was my biggest pull. I was like, oh, you're getting Hideaki Anno to voice the main character. Okay, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> and you know, the, the, cast, the cast in English is pretty incredible. Is it? I mean, look. Yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Jiro. Oh my gosh. Um, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski as characters. Martin Short, Werner Herzog, William H. Macy, Mae Whitman, her... Mandy Patinkin, Stanley Tucci, Ronan Farrow, Elijah Wood, Darren Chris, crazy cast. That that is called that is called everyone going. I need to voice for Miyazaki's last film right now. Because you know, even though now we know there is one more coming. Jokes like, on he did. He did get to work the ten years. Jokes on us. Jokes on us. That's not his. This one isn't going to be his last film. But what a capper. Mm-hmm. What a finale. What a personal... Like, after years of creating some amazing fantasy films that you can read whatever into, what an intense and incredible personal statement to end a career on. Mm-hmm. Shucks. <laughs> Golly, even. <laughs> this 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 new one better be his grand Torino. <laughs> to choose one thing means to give up another. It's inevitable. But what can you do? That's what it is to live. I like the way... I love it. I love the way the way he speaks so frankly. He doesn't try to beat around the bush. It's it's stuff like that where it's it is not very happy. It's dour, but what can you do? That's what it is. He's to talking. Live. He's talking to the new hires. He's like, uh, if Ghibli doesn't appeal to you, then quit because I'll do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was was that before or after he's uh, doing a little karaoke and he starts making fun of his movies? That was just after it. <laughs> that was in that that amazing archival footage reel. Mm-hmm. Always the same unpredictable stuff. Always cycling the same ideas. <laughs> It'll turn into a boring show, and the fad will be over. <laughs> well, honestly, luckily, I, I had to write those down. Luckily for luckily for us and uh, the world over, the fad isn't over. It's uh, I yeah, think I, I think mean, Ghibli's gonna. Now, I think Ghibli, even if the studio closes after Miyazaki's ret- actual retirement or unfortunate passing, uh, the love for Ghibli will not end. I I will say though there is a, a strata. Don't hmm. you agree? Hmm. It's like when Guillermo del Toro executive produces a film, and you're like, uh oh, this is gonna be shit. Hmm. Yeah, that's hmm. Hmm. Well, now I'm nervous, but I don't know. We still have, it's the nice memories. We'll have the memories, right, Kevo? Ghibli will always exist because Totoro will always appeal to children. Of course. Kiki, right, like, Kiki's delivery service will always be what you, what you put on for a, for a tiny child when you want to have a good time. Princess Mononoke like, is perfect for showing to a teenager who's just figuring themselves out, and Spirited Away is perfect for showing someone where you can go with art and where you can let them go with art. That's my platitude of the show. You, what are you saying, Kevin? Yeah. I mean, I don't have a lot to add. Oh, okay. Cool. I think, I mean, yeah. I mean, yes. I think <laughs> that the, uh, as of what's going on these days in anime, you know, maybe I'm not the person. Again, I'm, I'm, at, I'm on volume eight of One Piece here. <laughs> uh, I am not the trendsetter. Again, the most recent thing I'm concerned about are the Ultraman and Kamen Rider reboots. So I'm a little out of touch. That's all right. Um, so I don't know where, where the business is going. Everyone read Chainsaw Man and watch it too. Tell, sh- 
tell uh tell Shonen Jump we want weird stuff. Chainsaw Man. I have to read that. It's very good. Very good. Do you like how we started going on about uh the notion in of one's goal in life is to be happy. That you're unhappy is the goal. I just don't buy it. And how he kind of trailed off and didn't finish his thought. I loved that. That rocked. What is happiness? What do you do? Does what you do make you ha- like? He starts asking everybody. Mm-hmm. He's like uh, like a like a like all the great artists. He's um. Are you familiar with the uh, Dialto of Pass? The story of the Dialto of Pass. I don't. All right. So this was a few decades back. I can't remember the exact year. But they didn't have cell phones. A bunch of Russian hikers were found in the middle of in the middle of um, a mountain. All all deceased, like nine of them. They all had radiation marks. Some were completely naked in the snow and had uh, bitten their tongues off. Oh my god! And the the Russians were a little. Uh, they were quiet about the actual thing. There were a lot of uh, weird little details here and there, and the uh, official report is that they w- they died from a, um, an unknown compelling force that told them to take off their clothes in the middle of winter. Oh, totally. But the reason I brought what that up fuck? is for the phrase, an unknown compelling force, and I think that is what drives Miyazaki. He's not doing this because it's... He does not making movies because he's happy with making movies. He's doing it because... Because there's an unknown, compelling force making him. Do you think your goal is to become happy yourself? I've heard that from several people now, and I wonder, is that what posit- is that what post-war democracy is amounted to? Mm. <laughs> Fuck. I mean, this is this is most likely a cultural thing that I can't comment on because, again, I'm not oh, from Japan. Y- yeah, that's the read of it. I went with mine. I went with mine because it's a little it's a little more flowery and it's one that I think a lot anyone who indulges in creativity can attest to. Sometimes you just sit down and make stuff cuz damn it, I'm going to make something. You know, and then the people around him are also so scared to say anything to him. Oh yeah. That man was a t- um, that man is a difficult taskmaster to say the, the least. The layout the layout guy during the plane sequence getting the wrong direction and not wanting to correct Miyazaki so he just does what the layout says. Oh my god. Yeah. Wild. While he's marching around talking about how the studio's not going to exist in 10 years. Uh it'll collapse because everything does and etc. What a champ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Walks into the room. All right everyone, I'm going to teach you how to bow. He says this to a room of full of a grown ass adults. Crazy. What is this like? I guess maybe this is a cultural thing. Everybody getting up and exercising to the music. Um, they're sitting in their chairs for ten hours a day. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's really it. I was like, "Fuck!" Like that's craziness. I I, I thought there was a clip where it shows the entire studio doing the stretches with him, but it wasn't in this. It was in something else I saw. But there was one part where it's like, "All right, we all do our stretches now." As everyone getting up and just doing some basic stretches for like solid fifteen minutes, then they get back in their chairs and get uh, start working again. I liked when they were cutting to the merch meeting. Oh God! They were breaking down the merch numbers and how the adults are buying the toys, but they continue to market the children who aren't buying them. Did that come before or after uh, he had some very strong words about otaku? That was early in the film. The otaku is like the halfway mark. Yeah, that makes sense. Can't make it too obvious that uh, what he was commenting on. (laughs) Just just edit that in towards the middle. I guess so, yeah, exactly. 
that's interesting, though. At least they're still marketing towards children. Every new generation will find these movies in time. It's true. All right. Um, one last thing I wanted to talk about because it's my favorite. Like, it really is my favorite thing in the movie, and it blew my mind. Sure. Right before they're going to go do the press conference to announce that The Wind Rises has been complete, Miyazaki gestures to the director and, and brings brings them out to look outside the window. Mm-hmm. And he starts to devise this rooftop chase uh, where you're climbing up through this and that. And it's showing the action reflected in Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got emotional at that, man. That was really good. That was quite quite possibly better than watching him work. That is the best way to understand how he comes to his conclusions. Relating the relating his what he's saying with the finished visuals of past movies. It reminded me of looking out my car window and imagining stuff. Right? Imagine. As a child. As a child. Did you have a uh, did you have a man running alongside the uh, car, or did you have ones flying, or spinning a web? Uh, usually flying. No, no superhero stuff. Okay. Um, I did one night on a road trip hallucinate that the mile markers were green faced businessmen. That rocks. Which <laughs> like like Magritte. I'm sorry to tell you, Kevin, but you fell into an Earthbound uh, ROM hack. <laughs> I'm happy you've, oh, you came. Yeah. I'm happy you came back in one piece. Oh my god! Um, but that's the last big thing for me is just that the way the way that he looks out a window and imagines essentially half of a film. He just had that yeah. that morning in that meeting, completely throw away. Was just like after all of what he had said about not having it anymore and making a movie is futile and why do we do things for our happiness that doesn't track to me ghibli's gonna collapse all of this he still has the brain he still has the imagination to be the guy who directed spirited away the unknown compelling force which honestly it's probably just creativity and imagination he just chooses to act on it and has this resources to do so. That's yeah, true. I hope to work for ten more years. He's a. Uh, I would not be surprised if uh, we get him for another ten years. Honestly. Oh yeah, I did look up. How do you live? Which is his. His next film. Hmm. Miyazaki is working on this film for his grandson. As a way of saying, Grandpa is moving on to the next world soon, but he is leaving behind this film. Um, Christ. <laughs> yeah, holy moly. Uh, let's see. Goro Miyazaki's Irig and the Witch came out last year. Oh, which no. I heard was not awesome. The film, as of December 2020, How Do You Live is halfway through. Um, it's... Suzuki, the producer who's in this film, mm. stated that How Do You Live is working with no deadlines, uh, similar to the eight-year production of The Tale of the, of the Princess Kaguya mm-hmm. in this film. And uh, it'll come out when it comes out. It's like they're halfway done as of this time last year. So, Did they mention when they started production? Yes. So production started... Um, animation work started in 2016. This might be his last film. 
Studio Ghibli reopened with many of past collaborators on the assignment. Yeah, I think this is his final statement. Oh, this is absolutely yeah. his last film. He, his, I think his last two films, the, the second to last was a reflection on who he was. And this one is the reflection is thinking about what he's leaving behind for his uh, grandkid. Look, I actually had forgotten about this, but it is important to note that, that Miyazaki announced his retirement officially, like for real. Yep. And Ghibli announced that they took a brief pause that essentially closed the studio. Yeah. You know, and he did say he did retire. He did say that he wasn't going to do anymore. Yeah. He just has to create. But uh, no, three years later, he came out of retirement and Ghibli kicked up again. And my uh, my personal last statement on all of this is: Does it ever strike you that ha- that um, Hayao Miyazaki, Goro Miyazaki, and the grandson they have a relationship akin to Cotton Hill, Hank Hill, and Bobby Hill? Is that so? Cot- well, yeah, Cotton Hill. Hayao Miyazaki is really, really rough on his uh, son and apparently is doting on his grandson. So it's King of the Hill, but across the sea. That's that's wild. <laughs> I, I can't say I, I thought about King of the Hill at all during this entire process this morning. <laughs> I can't say I ever thought of it for a second. <laughs> Not at all? You didn't see the uh, similarity no. in the animation style? Now that you, think, now that you mention it. No. No. Nah. It's all Boomhauer. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, man. No, 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 Totoro. I can't fit him in. All right. He, he, can, see, he can see it very tall. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's hard to rate this movie. I rated it five stars because it's a really beautiful, poignant take to look at one of the great creators of all time uh, in his brutal co- self-contradictions. Mm-hmm. Um, it is It is his whole deal. And every way he contradicts himself up on the screen, and it's done very brilliantly. And and for the last ten minutes alone, it's five stars. But of course, it's a great movie. Yeah, and uh, normally I'll give it no rating just because it's this is very yeah, too strange and personal. I agree. I usually rate. agree, but for the show, I was like, oh, yeah. I'll rate it for the show. Let's give it a five. I'm down for that. It's all right. Five bags of popcorn and a soda and a and a no face holding a soda. Ah, <laughs> uh, ah. Uh. That's me. Gr- that's me about to drink my soda. Actually, um, any right, any folks. last thoughts, or do you want to go on to Porco Rosso? No, I'm pretty sure we covered it. All right. So that's us for the Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. Finally, we could put that title to bed. Um, hope you watch it. Hope you watch The Wind Rises. I actually don't know how the other movie turned out which is pretty bad. But look, once they realize the movies aren't coming out at the same time, the movie becomes about the wind rises yeah. automatically. The other one doesn't exist. He says in the film, he surpassed the other director as a filmmaker. And then it's history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that's on them at a point. <laughs> it exists just to add further context to Miyazaki as a person. Um, extremely positive reviews, a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Deserve it. For Cayuga. Kaguya. So maybe this might be worth checking out. That's yeah, a Ghibli film. Like the song, like the song says, reusing, reusing tropes, same old plot, and then he gets really drunk and falls off the stage. <laughs> All right, Jared, the fad is over. Mm-hmm. So everybody, strap in, tune up. 
Smoke them if you got them. We'll be right back with Poco Rosso right after this break. Thank you very much for listening. Well, Jared, before we get into Porco Rosso, our second film of the night, I almost forgot to plug next week's Christmas special. <gasps> How could you? Want a plane that loops the loop? Me, I want a hula hoop. We are doing the Batman, the animated series, movie, Batman, Mask of the Phantasm as our Christmas special. If you told me what you just said at the start was a line the Joker says, I'd believe you. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we quoted Alvin. Alvin and the Joker are very kindred spirits. Can't you hear Mark Hamill's uh, lovely voice reciting such words? That would actually be pretty good. You think we can get it? How much do you think it costs to get a cameo from Mark Hamill? Um, at least at least two organs a piece. I don't think he does cameo because he doesn't have to. No, and even if he did for fun, you know, for charity. I mean, I'm sure for charity he would do something like that. Oh, definitely. I was more saying he'd be so swamped that, like, he nothing would get done. But, yeah, we're doing uh, Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, next week. It's going to be a blast. Oh, my God. Wait, sorry. I found a thread where... <laughs> I found a thread I write where... the boat, and he continues to flip it over. <laughs> sorry, what were you saying? I apologize. I found a thread where Cameo's social media account was trying to sell Mark Hamill on Cameo. <laughs> and uh no reply (laughs) the most the most active celebrity on twitter twitter uh twitter gave you the cold yeah that one too gave you the cold shoulder oof that's how you know you messed up Mm. all right let's talk about hiyo miyazaki's 1992 classic pokoroso let's do it you're introduced to an Italian World War I fighter race, now living as a freelance bounty hunter chasing air pirates in the Adriatic Sea. He's been given a curse that has changed his head to that of a pig, once called Marco. In the in the English version, the character is named Marco Rossellini. Mm-hmm. So we'll go with that. But he is now known as the Crimson Pig, or Poco Rosso. Mm-hmm. Jared... Outside of that, did you know anything else about this film? Had you seen it before? Because I hadn't. I knew nothing. Planes. A pig man. I knew it had a unique vibe, especially because the Ghibli movies up to that point. I mean, Miyazaki says it himself in the documentary, which I thought was fascinating. He calls this a foolish film because he had been making movies for children up to that point. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. And this movie is not for... I mean, I wouldn't recommend this for children. It's a very, very weird place for this. It's a very weird. It exists in a very weird place. I mean, he does pivot after this point, right? And he goes into Mononoke after this. But mm-hmm. this is like Kiki's Delivery Service and this were practically on the same, on the desk at the same time. Mm-hmm. It feels like he's trying something. He hasn't quite figured out what he's trying, but he's getting there. <laughs> exactly. With uh, Porco Rosso. No, exactly. Because it's like, what is the tone? Who is this for? I love this movie, but the tone is very unique. Honestly, the way it's the way it figures, the way I figured at the end is that um, all like the fantastical elements, the pirates essentially. I love those pirates. I adore those wonderful, wonderful weirdos. They're great. They're huge beards. Do we have to take all the kids? Yeah, it'd be rude to separate them from their friends. <laughs> and the kids are just climbing all over them, just like, 
<laughs> acting as the peanut gallery throughout um the first the first uh the first real uh conflict you see is uh a bunch of pirates kidnap 15 schoolgirls from a sea from a seaplane and Porco Rosso has to go in and save them and the entire time these incompetent pirates are just fucking up screwing around being goofballs and the kids are the peanut gallery making fun of them the entire time i know one of them in the english is yelling ah we're gonna drown and so they all just jump in the water and start swimming away and the pirates like what it's dangerous down there you can't do that stop uh it's it exists in this bizarre fantasy world where pirates are honorable they're they're whimsical even though mm. the story is this kind of dark noir story about a guy who fell under a curse, um, yeah. it's very, it's it's just as whimsical and meandering to the point of the original. Like it's just as charming as these other early period Ghibli films. It's uh, it's one of the it's one of those movies. It's one of the movies where he um, the outside world and the evils of the world still exist. But the closer you are to Porco Rosso and his pig head, the more magical things are, and the safer things are. That's right. Which I think works for it. The entire thing feels like a lullaby. I don't know how else to explain it, but the flow of the entire film, the visuals, and like every... It's, a, it's multiple lullabies that tell a story, and it's, um, they're all bookended by the flights. That's all great. All the flight scenes, right? Yeah. It's it's wonderful that movie, for that for that reason. Um, not to <laughs> not to tangent too far and and uh, jump all around. I was gonna say I love um, his personality because he's giving off this like Spike Spiegel like that's right cool guy vibe. But then he's like trying to fix his engine and the kids are running around running around in their underpants and he's just like, hey, put your clothes back on in this like pseudo Spike trying to be cool voice which is funny because it's michael keaton in the english yeah so that's important to note jared and i we watched the english language version of this which i don't know about you i never do i always try to do the original japanese but like maybe i should try these dubs because they're all really good the performances are excellent uh spirit away's dub is fantastic still um mononoke's uh, it was okay but this one really worked for me i really liked it Everyone was just the right level of charming. Right, I agree. I liked that we got our usual like Cartoon Network of that era VAs, the eventual voice of Patrick Starr, who you mm-hmm. could tell immediately. Uh, Kevin Michael Richardson and Frank Welker as well stuck out like sore thumbs. And mm-hmm. of course, speaking of you know Bill Fagerbachy, who became Patrick on SpongeBob, Tom Kenny gives an incredible <laughs> uh, supporting performance in this movie where you can't even tell it's him sometimes. I didn't even know. I didn't know it was him the entire time. I did not pick up on that at all. I'm curious as to when this dub was was made. Um, Wikipedia said uh, it was released in 2005, so probably in the like between yeah. 2000 and 2004. Right after Spirited Away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as soon as soon as Spirited Away got that Academy Award, it was like, oh. We need to see the other ones. Eisner saw green immediately. Them. Finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what is, what is it they say about clocks? Twice yeah, a day. Yeah, exactly. It was, uh, but 
back to it. Um, mm. Well, here's the point in the movie where things just sort of start to do the Ghibli. You know, you just chill. You listen to the good music. You see the pretty animation. Yeah, you exactly. take the time to admire. Take the time to admire the craft and skill on, on screen. At the same time, it's enough to just sit back and enjoy the silence, the quiet. It did the same stuff for me that Pixar's Luca did last year with a similar location, where it was mm-hmm. just like hanging out. That's yeah. why the the lazy critic, uh, the lazy critique of Luca is that it is a Ghibli film, a Ghibli film, uh, which is like fine. Uh, it's not, it sounds like a way to get people to watch the movie rather than actually talk about the movie. Unfortunately, I mean it was the it was the one buzzword. Nah, figures. You know how it I don't, is. I, you go on Letterboxd and it's all the, the three popular people are all saying it. So there's 1,900 reviews that all say it. Oh boy, I actually don't think I've ever read a popular review. Good, um, good. Anyway, no, I have. Some of them are funny. All right, we're back on topic. Hi, Kevin. Hi, I'm a night ink. The um, ooh. Ooh, actually, when he's flying over to Milan, after um, he gets he gets that message where they're all trying to where all, all the pirates are trying to kick his ass, and he's just, I'm not dealing with this. So he flies to Milan. Right. Oh man, that and and the later flying scene, which of course will come up when he's flying through and the clouds get they all get so dark, and you only get those beams of light and just a plane flying through them oh my gosh that was beautiful there's all sorts of beautiful like if if seeing all of the plane stuff in the wind rises footage in the documentary did not convince you that this guy Mm -hmm. likes planes oh my gosh the plane work in this movie is just absolutely beautiful (laughs) i know i shouldn't glorify him but look how cool it is (laughs) i mean yeah essentially beautiful beautiful stuff and (laughs) he I mean, hey, he, um, you know, I'd rather be a pig than a fascist. I was just going to bring that up. It's like my favorite line in the film. I mean, oh, that's it's a so lot good. of people's favorite line because it's just so yeah. great. The, um, uh, I like that when he said that, uh, when his friend said it, that's the, that's the guy who was voiced by Tom Kenny. That's he right. meets up with, um, he meets up with a friend, an old friend in the, uh, Italian Air Force, I guess. Was there a specific name or is it, uh, I don't recall. He meets up with a friend whom, um, who is still in the Italian Air Force. Porco Rosso himself, Marco, decided to leave because, again, rather be a pig than a fascist. And during that scene, when he's talking with his friend and he says that line, his friend gets frustrated, but not in a you insulted me way, in a, ugh, I know you're right, and just steals his food and just eats all of it in front of him right. just, to piss, just to piss off his friend. It was such a nice touch that actually later on, when that friend returns, it's it doesn't feel out of the blue. You get the sense of oh, he found an excuse to do it. Uh, to do what his friend did and followed him, which I I love the little visual flares in all these movies. It's just fantastic. Oh yeah, were there any scenes that stuck out to you? Like well yeah, oh were there ever, dude. <sighs> Um, I loved the charm and the simplicity of the third act mm-hmm. of the duel, although the, the the boxing match was absolutely incredible. Oh, that rocked so hard. I loved the the dream 
or mm-hmm. so to speak, the origin of Porco Rosso. Mm-hmm. All the planes. Loved that. The breaking through the barrier and then seeing the wall, the line of planes. When Tr- he them. wants he wants to go up to he wants to go up to to help to join them. But all his last view is just all the planes flying off. The whole fleet of oh my goodness. Absolutely. I, I loved that uh we think we think people see Porcoroso's true face. Mm-hmm. Underneath his pig his pig piggy exterior. Mm-hmm. She uh the the uh, other main character, the Robin to uh Porco Rosso's Batman, she sees it for a split second. I'm gonna get her name real. Maybe it's fast. like a kiss. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, Fio. She sees his face for a split second while he's counting bullets, and that's about that. I absolutely love it. And and again, it does... He called it a fool... Like, I don't know if I agree with the read that this movie is foolish. He's... He's probably being mean... He's probably probably being cruel to his past self for not being as, well, cruel as he is as an old man. But is Princess Mononoke for kids? No. That's, uh, that's for teenagers. And I don't think that movie's foolish at all. Did he call that movie foolish? No. Good. No, I was just a... saying, like, his next movie was even, you know, more in that direction. Wouldn't be surprised if he looked at, um, if he, if he went on to, do, when he was making Mononoke, he looked back at Porco Rosso and just thought, well, fuck that. Like, that was, Porco Rosso was him trying to find something, and Princess Mononoke felt like, alright, I'm just gonna make what I wanna make, and right. it's gonna be this very angry movie, where Porco Rosso kind of, you know, it was angry, but it was well-contained behind the pig's mask. Some people, I've heard some people say that this is their favorite of all the Ghibli films, which really surprises me. Not not because of the quality of the film, but because all the others are so good. It's like, ooh, I don't know. I want to know what I want to know what grabbed them so much about this movie. And now I that makes it, me but... that makes me want to watch the rest to figure yeah. out where it would stand. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I do love the other two that I saw, the other three, I guess that I saw. Mm-hmm. But how is Kiki's Delivery Service or My Neighbor Totoro? Does it hold up? Like, I don't know. Well, you'll have to find out, dude, <laughs> and get back to me. I'll have to find out. It's true. <laughs> Let's talk about the duel. Yes, that was the coolest. Like, I'm all, I'm all for a a battle between two people where they just keep whittling each other down until they go from their big stuff to beating the crap out of each other. I think that's the coolest thing you can do for a one on one rival fight. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded what? me of the four or three, four or five years later. You can remind me. Yeah. Metal Gear Solid One. Uh, the final. No, no, no. Sorry. The final battle in Metal Gear Solid Four. Yes, that's not fair. Metal Gear Solid One, because oh. Four brings you through the entire history. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert. Um, the the final battle in Metal Gear Solid 4 is the final battle between Solid Snake and his twin brother and nemesis Liquid Snake and you see the entire timeline of their entire rivalry through this basically two old men bare knuckle boxing for two hours 
It's amazing. And it reminded would... me, like, of any, well, really any last battle in a game that is multi-staged. If it needs to whittle down to, you can either go so big, you have safer Sephiroth, or you go so little, it's just two old men beating each other up. That's right. Because that's what their genes are telling them. I'd even say MGS1 was a was a good one, too. Oh, true. Sna- you know, you have, he's Snake, destro- Snake uh, takes a long time to destroy Rex, and then he has a fist fight with his twin brother on top of a um, on top of the head of the mecha. That's whew, what dreams are made of, baby. The animation for Poco- the Porco Rosso fight, so, so beautiful the and so full of personality. The smoothness on the punches from such an awkward-looking character. Mm-hmm. Like all throughout the movie, the way he exists physically in the world is amazing. But then, mm-hmm. just like the, like the hyper realistic smooth movement was just like, mm-hmm. obviously Ghibli's calling card. But yeah, and the adherence to the fact that they're in water, so they're it, they can't move that well. They like then they uh, got to the point where they are missing because one they got the crap kicked out of them, and they're completely misjudging how much the water is hindering them, and they just. Just throwing, throwing haymakers and hoping something connects. Just oof. Again, it's hard to describe some a visual thing without just cutting to just go watch the damn thing. Yeah. But man, it just it sells the whole thing. You get so much of their personalities and the personality of the world they're in just from that fight. What kind of world they exist in? They both should have concussions, but their ideologies and what they stand for hold them up that's right eh. and at the very ends um they're kind of pals at the end right it all kind of works out yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like all right that was kind of a tie that you kind of won i'm not gonna no hard feelings let's go right back to whimsy although for how long um because this is uh, one of the few miyazaki stories that takes place in the real world right so how long i mean like I was saying before, the uh, as long as you're close to uh, his pig head, you're in the world of magical magic and dreams. And at the very end, his uh, seems like his he- his pig head is gone. Oh, spoiler! <laughs> spoiler alert. Well, you know, we assume and such. Yeah, sorry about that. But I mean, hell, in the mo- hell in the movie itself, it's not portrayed as something important. You don't see his face when um, oh goodness, what's his name? Sorry, I had I had a my cat my thing blocking it when Curtis um. When Curtis looks over and says, "Hey, your face," you don't get to see uh, his his uh, human face again. It just ignores it because it's kind of what you expect. You expect, oh yeah, he's gonna get his human form again. It's not important. It's not right. important as important as the whole experience. It the story wasn't about him not becoming a pig. It was just about the journey itself. Him stop him not being a pig was incidental to the story. Right. Also funny, we were talking about Metal Gear. Uh, Curtis, uh, Porco's rival, is voiced by uh, Akio Atsuka in the Japanese, who is the voice of Big Boss slash Solid Snake. That's craziness. Everything comes back to Metal Gear. And I can't say I'm unhappy about that. (laughs) It all comes back to Metal Gear. Forever. So... One thing in um, the previous movie, The Kingdom of uh, that we Harry watched, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Kings and Dreams, 
Harry Potter and the and the Court of the Crimson King. Nailed it. Hmm. I'm writing that fanfic at some point, but <laughs> he mentions how like if it weren't for children, the he loves children. Like he loves the idea of them, and you can see that in his movies, and especially in this one where he's a grouchy. There's a grouchy weird guy calls himself a pig and doesn't really like himself very much who saves 15 children and because who saves 15 children his reason for sa- for uh knocking the pirates out knocking the pirates out was to save the children i'd say this was his first and of course the planes yeah like just the fact that he's a daredevil pilot alone not to mention all the projection that you can read into it is pretty oh, yeah. wild a daredevil pilot kind of not not too dissimilar from a guy who uh works without a script and just storyboards and no one knows what the film's going to be. Literally. Plus, Maybe? not too different from the kid drawing planes all day. You know, maybe that's why he calls Porco Rosso foolish. His wild project... He's projecting... He projected onto Porco Rosso, the character. So, you know, like, he tried to pull back from it and let him be his own character and succeeded i guess to a degree and then in the wind rises he just sort of put everything behind that character maybe he's calling it foolish because it was a comment on him not committing to you know making his dream movie that's interesting just a thought that's interesting he there was some he said some line about um <clears throat> excuse me He has this line about um, his younger self could have drawn this. Right. And, like, I think that's funny because his younger self, the one who made Porco Rosso, is probably sitting there going, My older, I'm going to wait until I'm older until I make this movie. Huh. And then as an old person, he's looking back and going, Oh, I could have made that. This weird, conflicting narrative of um, self-hatred and that's interesting. trying to figure himself out. That was just my read into it, I guess. I might be looking a little too far into this. I just... Hmm. Food for thought. Yeah, I don't know. That is interesting to think about. I didn't want to go that far in terms of read... You know, this guy... Yeah. This guy was so contradictory that entire movie, I didn't even know which end was up by the end of it. Like, I thought some of these movies were pretty simple reads, and now this film is like, what What even is this? <laughs> he made a... Uh... Japanese lullaby about Batman and Robin and their very cool plane. I mean, yeah. Every scene up in the up in the sky, man. It's just so gorgeous. A lot of my notes were like, "Wow, that's amazing! Isn't that yeah. beautiful?" It's stuff that, again, really comes to a head in the wind rises in the way that that is depicted as mm-hmm. well. Get the close. You get the sense that this is what he imagines. What he um imagines flying is. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why these scenes are so beautiful. It's the most. It's the most distilled idea of his idea of joy. Right. It's not a bad read. I feel bad for doing such an intense read on a human being, but he portrayed himself so extreme in like uh the documentary is like you're you're acting like a goofball you're acting out i'm gonna gonna think about that i mean <laughs> so would a little pig yeah so would a world war one pilot who magically has the head of a pig mm. right why would he become a pig 
because uh, they're both acting out and uh, lying about themselves to someone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he put the curse on himself. That's what happened. <laughs> oh. That's wild. <laughs> um, I feel like talking about this movie anymore. There's, I don't know. There's not. I don't know. Do you have anything more you want to comment? On? I frankly, I was surprised. The thing about this movie is that it is awesome. It is so much fun. The vibe mm-hmm. and the adventure and the tone is the tone is. It's so good. It's a risk for so. them at that period. Mm-hmm. It's a risk for them at that period, but it is so phenomenal and so much fun. Um, and I feel like we have conveyed that to you <laughs> like the plot is not complicated it's a wartime war yeah it's a it's a war and it's a well it's better to be a pig than a fascist and all that <laughs> exactly um you know there's not a lot to look into i mean besides this deeper read which you can only <laughs> really get, you could really only get if you see that documentary which is relatively new mm-hmm. um there's not I mean it's a ton of fun yeah lovely stuff it's lovely it's very basically good if you have HBO Max go watch it yeah these are all up on HBO Max what are you doing what are you watching Space Jam 2 a a movie we will never talk about Kevin stop calling me out like that you know I have that up in my queue at all times I just saw it came back Oh, oh man really yeah well they all come back with time oh like a um, stomach virus. <laughs> um, do you have any other notes, Jared? Because we completely destroyed my notes. We, <laughs> we obliterated them. Not that there were, not that there were many, or that there was a lot. I felt to say in comparison to the documentary, which was revelatory and wild. Um, have fun with it. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Four stars. Yeah, I'm at four stars as well. It's just awesome. Some pig. Yep. <laughs> Damn it! I forgot. Oh man, I was I wanted to say that, but you you beat me there. It was my letterbox review. Wow, you beat me. You beat me by a good bit. Some pig. Thanks, son. <laughs> well, that's Porco Rosso. Uh, Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, five stars across the board. This Porco Rosso, four stars. Uh, two really awesome movies from Studio Ghibli. One that explains the process, and one that really shows it off. Um, I, I found it difficult to talk about Porco Rosso, Jared, because of that mm. meandering feel that storyboarding first for a feature does. And especially with something that's, um, the character, the characters are very solid and it's the world around them that changes so much. The characters follow templates that work so well. All you can do is say, wasn't that a really cool bit of animation? That's yeah. Right. I had a note here where, um, he, he was, ta- he was talking to someone pours a bit of wine and there's a glass like right in front of her arm and you see the lines like the outline of her body wobble with the fall of the wine and as it grows still it's like oh my gosh that's beautiful it's hard to talk about because just go watch it but man it needs to be mentioned it's just (laughs) fantastic just fantastic stuff i'm happy i'm happy i picked this one because i'm happy you did too it's a goodie Mm -hmm. all right i think that's about that huh all right, Jared. Well, look, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you made us buttons to put all around your hometown, which is nuts, uh, if we see an uptick 
from right where Brandon Brandon is. We'll know why. Um, <laughs> go to AMNT. Send us an email at amntpod at gmail dot com. We will read it on the air and stuff. Uh, just a reminder: next week's show is Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, you know, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. We're doing a movie about wintertime, released around Christmas. Uh, it, has a, it has a really cool dude in it. It does have Batman. a does have a really cool dude in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is next Wednesday. So until then, this has been Ammonite Movie Night. Say goodnight, Jared. Good night, Jared. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you. <laughs>